You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. But church, I'm excited about this word today. And I'm going to speak a little bit about motherhood because it's the day of, to talk about mother stuff. And I believe there's going to be things in this message today that are actually going to really help you. Like it is awesome that we got a cupcake. I actually got two. I'm just full disclosure. I was like, oh, I didn't get one yet. I got two cupcakes, okay? But I'm telling you, as awesome as a cupcake is, I believe this word is going to be the best gift you will get this Mother's Day because we're going to hear some things from the Bible that are going to help us be the best moms that we can be. So being a mom, let's talk about this adventure. Like if I was to ask you the sentence, being a mom is dot, 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 it'd be really interesting to like hear the end of that sentence. Being a mom is lots of different things. But the one thing that I think uh, we, we realize when we actually think about it, being a mom is actually being in a position of making decisions all the time. I feel like as a mom, that's all I do is make little decisions, micro decisions, macro decisions. I feel like I'm making decisions all day long. And I looked into it. Did you know the average mom in one day makes 3,500 decisions? I don't know how they calculate these things. I'm like, wow, that's exhausting just reading that statistic. 3,500 times a day as a mom, we have to make a decision that impacts our children or impacts our household, which is crazy. So let's get a witness to some of these decisions, all right? And let me just say, I mean, Drew already told you, most of these are inspired by my three-year-old son who really is a test to me in the grace of Jesus. It's just really stretching me to lean on Jesus, my beautiful Jack. But these are some of the the decisions we make as parents. And if I get a witness here, I want some mums to holler, okay? This is a big one. I pick my kid up from school, he's exhausted, but I've got a decision to make. Do I let him nap? But that means he's not going to bed till 10 o'clock at night. Or do I not let him nap and just you know, admit to myself the next three hours of my life is going to be crazy? It's a conundrum what to do, to nap or not nap. Okay, what about this one? And this is one of these uh, awkward parenting decisions you have where you're like, I know it's my job to raise responsible humans, but sometimes the stuff they do is really funny. And for my own entertainment's sake, I don't want to stop you because I'm laughing and this is better than anything on TV. So, you know, this is one that I think is really funny and I have to make a decision. Both my son and my daughter like to sing really loudly while using the potty. At home and in public. Anyone else got weird kids like me like to sing on the potty? And I'm not talking just a little song. Like they like to belt out ballads sometimes. I should stop them. That is slightly inappropriate. But it's hilarious to me every time. So I just let it happen. What about this one? Talking about things I should stop that are a bit inappropriate. Do I allow my son making fart noises with his hands? Like I should, right? It's gross, but it's also hilarious. So sometimes I let it happen. Same goes with uh, pee sword fights when their friends are over. Gross, but hilarious. Using a shoe as a bowl for your goldfish. That happens multiple times a week in my house. And often I'm like, you know what? That's just funny and it's not going to kill you. So continue, continue. What about this? When Jack insists leaving the house with underwear on his head. I mean, super inappropriate, but hilarious. So the decision is, do I let him do it or do I stop him? I think those that know me well know what I decide there. I let it happen. All right, but they're funny decisions we make in a a day, but what about some of those decisions where there's a lot on the line? Now, full disclosure, I only have a three-year-old and a five-year-old, so I am by far not an expert in this. But I know looking down the line of parenting, even in my limited experience you know, as a mum so far, I know that there's going to be some big decisions, some macro decisions I'm going to have to make on behalf of my kids. These are some of the decisions I know that await me. 
I mean, one I've already had. Do I let my kid cry it out or do I rock them to sleep? And that one's hard because you get on the internet and you're like, whoa, whoa, internet, calm down. You know, you want to leave your kid to cry it out, but at the same time, like, we'll have to pay for your future counselling. Like, it's a tough one as a parent, okay? This is a recent one for me. Do I tell my five-year-old the real truth of where babies come from? Because the question's been asked. My decision is, like, how much is too much at this age? It's a real question. What about this one? How old should your kid be before you give them a phone? Like that's, I've got my five-year-old who's turning six next Sunday and that's what she wants for her birthday. So I'm in this conundrum, like do I get her a phone? And I'm thinking, if I give you a phone, it's not about the phone, I'm giving you access to the internet. Oh, okay. Do I tell my preteen that they need to start wearing deodorant? Like that's a conundrum as a parent. Yes, all right, that's an easy one. See, this helps me today. What about this? Your kid comes home from school telling you a story about them being bullied and they're upset and they're crying. You gotta make a decision as a parent. Do I go to the school? Do I have a conversation with the teachers? Or do I let my kid figure it out? Come on, our response to that, and this is, I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way, I'm just saying that these questions that get asked to us that are specific to our kid and a situation, that there is a lot on the line on how we respond. What about what age you should allow your kids to date? What about if a kid doesn't wanna come to church? Do you make them come to church? What about, all right, I'm I'm learning, all right, I'm taking notes up here, all right. No one wants to be the one yelling no at this point. What about this one? And my mom had to deal with this with me. What about the fact that you get a parking ticket as a 19-year-old and you don't have the money to pay it? Do you pay your kid's parking ticket or do you let them feel the consequence of their decision? What about dads out there? Because come on, this isn't just for mums. What about when that guy knocks on your door and asks you for your daughter's hand in marriage? Do you give the blessing? Do you not? Never happening? Come on, these are some big decisions we um, have made as parents, are going to make as parents. And... uh, The thing is, when we go to the hospital and have these babies, we're not handed a literal parenting book on how to make these decisions, okay? So we feel like, wow, this is left to my discernment as a parent and my wisdom. I somehow have to, when faced with some of these decisions, all 3,500 of them in a day, I have to be able to get a source of wisdom from somewhere. There is no right or wrong way to do this. I have to figure out for myself what is best for my kids. I don't know about you, but sometimes we can feel the weight of that responsibility as parents. I know I sure do. I feel like I'm walking the line sometimes, almost like on a tightrope. Like I know that there's this response or this response, and if I don't figure out the right way, I'm precarious and I could set my kids up to fail or I could you know, make the wrong decision that expose them to something they're not ready for. Honestly, sometimes as parents, when we make decisions on behalf of our kids, we can feel a little trapped, would you say so? All right, well, there's good news. This is not just a sucks to be a parent message, I promise. This is good news, all right? Because I said that we didn't get a a, a parenting manual when we had babies, but the truth is we actually kind of did. It's called the Bible. And what's good news this morning is uh, I have gone through the Bible this morning and helped myself, which will help you, and figured out what does the Bible tell us about how to engage the wisdom and discernment of biblical truth when raising our kids? I love this scripture. It's found in Psalm 119, verse 105. It says that God's word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light in our path. The message version says this. It says that the words of the Bible help me see where I'm going. They throw a beam of light on a dark path. 
Like even in my limited experience as a parent so far, sometimes it can feel a little dark. Like, oh my goodness, what happens if I get this wrong? I love that we have a Bible that is going to shed light, particularly in the area of parenting. Like Drew was very sweet in his uh, you know, introduction of me and he called me a super mum. Full disclosure, not a super mum. I do not Pinterest. I don't have the hair to be a super mum. I don't have the energy to be a super mum. But you know what I can be? I actually can be a supernatural mum. I think that's actually a much better goal. Can't be a super mum, but I can be a supernatural mum where I can stop and I can think. When making those 3,500 decisions a day for my kids, I can stop and think, what does the Bible tell and show me about how to be a good parent to my kids? Because I know the Lord is a good, good father. There's a song about it. And I know He is the perfect parent. So if I can just copy the way He responded to me as His, his kid, His spiritual kid, then I can do a great job of raising my kids. So my message this morning is called The Parent Trap, Parent Trap. And I wanna focus on three decisions that we face as parents and kind of look at what the Bible has shown us and how we can respond in these situations. So the question is, what happens if you're not a mum out there today? Are you gonna tune out for the next 35 minutes? I mean, I would rather you not. This is what I'd rather you do instead. I would like you to think about how God parents you. Because I actually really feel strongly, we're going to pray at the end of this message. There is people in here that have been feeling um, maybe like God isn't listening to them or they're surprised at God's response to their prayers. And I feel today as we kind of unpack the truth of how God parents us, you're going to get some understanding. You're going to get some healing on why God has responded to you the way that He has in different seasons of His life. So are we ready for this this morning? You ready to take some notes? Are we ready to become supernatural parents? All right, let's pray. God, I thank you for today, God. God, Mother's Day. Lord, not just a cute holiday made by Hallmark, Father, but actually a time that we can honour, Lord, what you honoured. God, I thank you for every mother in here, every father in here. Lord, I just thank you that today there's going to be some light, Father, given to them as they walk out their parenting journey. God, I just thank you that people have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, you ready for the first question? Okay, so the first question is a, I'm starting, I'm starting there, okay? We're starting at probably for me, which is a really hard one. The question is, when we come up against some of those 3,500 questions in a day, the question is, do we protect our kids or do we prepare them? Do we protect our kids or do we prepare them? Now listen, I had an experience of this this week in a very real way. So my daughter had an awards show this week, um, and it was awesome. We're clapping on people. It's really great. But then I just all of a sudden discovered that pretty much everybody in her class was getting an award, but she didn't. She wasn't getting one. Now, my little Georgia Grace, I love her, has a little bit of a competitive spirit. And, you know, some kids would be like, oh, it's fine. Let's just cheer on other kids. Not yet for my five-year-old. She was quite indignant about the fact that she wasn't getting an award. In fact, there was a slight scene at one point where she yelled out, I was in that play too, and I was more confident. Like, super loud. Very humbling as a parent. So I, I know this is kind of like a silly example, but I had this moment, like, do I go and talk to the teacher and say, hey, my kid missed out? Or do I let this be one of those life lessons where she's going to realize in life, you're not always going to win. And how are you going to respond? Are you going to be the kid that can cheer on others in their victory? Or are you going to be the one that always has to cry and complain because it wasn't your turn to be celebrated? 
And you know, that's a real question. As we know, we have a participation ribbon culture. Everybody gets a prize. It's because parents have seen the, the emotional turmoil sometimes that happens, especially in immaturity, where you're not the one being celebrated. And rather than stepping back and letting them be seasoned in that experience, instead they've gone in to protect them from the temporary discomfort and made sure everyone gets a ribbon. Now I had a moment this week and I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna let this be a lesson for you because you're gonna be the kid that no matter who's been celebrated, you're cheering them on. So this is a, that's a silly example, but come on, this is a real thing often we get as parents. Do we allow our kids to be exposed to things that hurt them or do we run and make sure that they don't feel any pain? You know, God was in this situation like this, and it's interesting to see how he responded. Does anyone know the story of Joseph in the Bible? Guy with a cool coat, yep, he's awesome. Look, we don't have time to go into the whole story today, but you can find it in Genesis. It's one of my very favorites. But I remember, even as a kid, reading that story and wondering, was, was God a nice dad? Because this didn't seem like a very nice story. For those that know the story, Joseph ends up in a pit and then he ends up in prison for years and years. And it took a long time for him to be freed into the future that was promised to him as, a, as somebody who would uh, deliver Israel and save them from a famine. But we know God is the perfect father. So why was he okay in that season watching a son that he loved go through a pit go through persecution, go through a prison. How does that make sense? How does a good dad allow bad things to happen to his son? So knowing that, let's think about that. I think it's because God was more focused on the preparation for Joseph's incredible future, more than he was distracted by his temporary discomfort, his disillusionment. God saw bigger than what was happening today. To me, that inspires me. Can I do the same things for my kid? So, you know, this week I had a five-year-old that was heartbroken, but I was looking bigger. Hey, are you going to be the 15-year-old that's going to want to be friends, like people are going to want to be friends with you because you're going to cheer them on when they do well? Or are you going to be that kid that can't have good friends because every time they do something great, you're going to be crying in the corner? I had an opportunity to look bigger than what was right in front of me. It may seem like God was a neglectful father in that story, but we know he was thinking about the future. He was allowing Joseph to be processed through the pain of what he was going through. You know, he emphasised preparation rather than protection. And I know when I read that, that inspired me as a parent. To me, um, another way to put this is, I see that so often parents attempted to be their kid's cheerleader. But when I read the word, I realize that that is actually not our role to play in the field of life. Our role to play as parents isn't being the cheerleader, it's being the coach. So what's the difference between a coach and a cheerleader? And I would say cheerleaders look like they're having way more fun and they get way better outfits, all right? But let's look at the difference of of the difference between a coach and a, a cheerleader. So coaches understand that the game is being played while like they actually understand what is happening on the field. And this might offend some cheerleaders out there. Well, often cheerleaders don't really understand what's happening. They just like that they're there and there's lots of fun. But coaches really get the long play of what's happening to win you back over. Sorry, there we go. (laughs) While cheerleaders are only thinking about that one play, coaches are thinking about the whole game. Cheerleaders are so busy cheering the discouraged player to be soothed for a moment, while the coach is strategizing so that the player can be successful for a season. A coach can cheerlead, but a cheerleader can't coach. 
Coaches understand that the game is being played while cheerleaders often only repeat what they hear others saying. That's what I love about coaches. They're an expert in how to win at life. They're not just saying things for the sake of saying it. They have learnt, they have studied, they have picked up wisdom and they are there intentionally to help others win. Come on, I don't want to be a cheerleader parent. I want to be a coach of a parent because I've realised that my kid in this life is going to have lots and lots of team mates. They're going to have lots of people on their team, but they're only going to have one coach at a time and that's often going to be me. And I don't want to abdicate my role as a coach because it's a role that only I can play. So let's ask ourselves the question this morning. For the parents out there, Are you your kid's coach or are you their cheerleader? For the non-parents out there and for all of us, in your relationship with God, have you relegated God to just being your cheerleader when really he's asking to be your coach? Okay, one more story just to really illustrate this point. Let's think about our friend, the caterpillar. Okay, caterpillars are awesome. Okay, has anyone actually watched the whole process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly before? Has anyone seen that? Come on, it's like fifth grade science in Australia. What's really interesting about the process of a caterpillar is there is a season when the caterpillar begins to go through the process of going into a cocoon. And you know, watching it, it doesn't look that pleasant for the caterpillar, to be honest. It looks like they're a little bit confused, they're a little bit constricted. It looks almost a little bit painful. But imagine if we cut that caterpillar out of its cocoon. What would happen to that caterpillar? it would stay a caterpillar. Because we know that that cocooning process for the caterpillar is actually producing as they struggle against, as they're getting their strength as they struggle against the wall of the cocoon. That is preparing in them. That is instilling in them the strength they're gonna need to take flight further on in life. For you, where is it that your kid is actually in a season of being in a cocoon that is preparing them for future flight? Are you the parent there with scissors ready to cut them out of any trouble? Or are you the parent that can see the bigger picture as a coach sees that, no, this might have temporary discomfort, but I'm telling you, it is setting you up for future flight. What areas are you protecting yourself from with God's processing in you? Are you so scared of the temporary discomfort as God addresses things in you? I call them mirror moments for me, when God almost holds up a mirror to my soul and he shows me things in there. My humanity is on full display. Am I so struggling in the process that I'm demanding God to get the scissors out and save me from this situation? Or can I understand that my Father in heaven, who's a good, good Father, may just be letting me process, may just be letting me go through some temporary discomfort because He's got a plan and a purpose for my future that's going to see me take flight. Practically, because I love practical. Are you saying yes to your kids when really you should be saying no? Are you having conversations for your kids when really you should be sending them out to have conversations for themselves? Are you paying for things and making a way for your kids when really it's their time to learn how to blaze trails and make a path themselves? I mean, great questions for myself. That really challenges me today. Let's consider Joseph. Maybe for us, God is allowing painful processing because he's positioning us for a future, a future that you ask God for and you ask God to ready yourself for. But when the readying comes, we fight against it. 
Hebrews 12 verse 11 tells us, from the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Preparation is way harder than protection. As a parent, it is way easier to protect my kid than it is to prepare them. And you know why? Because preparation requires seeing in my spirit Well, protection just means seeing in my flesh. It is always harder to be a supernatural parent than it is to be a super parent because one requires your strength. The other one means surrendering your strength and picking up the strength of Jesus to see. My prayer this morning, as we kind of throw the truth of the word out there, that we have parents committed to allowing our kids to be processed and that we as children of the King uh, will allow God to process us. God, our coach, is committed to our growth more than he is our, um, our comfort. Like that's kind of hard. Just like God is more committed to you having long-lasting joy than he is for you being happy. That actually doesn't make him a bad father. It just makes him a good coach because God is our coach, not our cheerleader. All right, point one. Does that give you a little bit to chew on? How many people think that will help them today? Okay, I love it. You know what? Our kids will thank us in years to come. I promise. I promise. I know I sure want to thank my mum for some of the times she said no to me, despite how hard I cried. Thank you for that. I remember actually uh, when I was a kid, I really wanted to watch this movie, but I'd been really naughty at school. And I remember my mum telling me I wasn't allowed to watch it. And I, I literally, even to this day, remember how hysterical I was getting like, how dare you? How dare you? But you know what? That bad thing I did, I never did again, because so was the consequence to my decision. It literally changed my life. I never went back to a fire that burnt because she let me feel the heat of the consequence. All right, so I know that's a lot to consider, protect or prepare, but I want two more to focus on. The next thing I want to focus on, do we indulge or do we inhibit our kids? Another way of saying that is, do we give or do we guard? I want to read this great scripture found in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 to 8. I love the title of this scripture in the Bible because it says this, there is a time for everything. And this is what it says. For everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill, take that in context, and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to stop searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, I need to receive that one, and a time to speak, (laughs) a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. You did not need to amen that. Well. All right, so we get it. There is a time for everything. And I do want to say this. As I talk about these focuses, it's not that it's one or the other. It's not like in life we're just going to prepare our kids and not protect them in some season. It's both. I talked at the beginning that often it's like walking a tightrope. 
It's both. It's walking the line of the middle. But I love this scripture because it tells me that you've got to discern when it's time to do this. Is it a time for protection? Is it a time for preparation with your kids? In this situation, is it a time to give to our kids or is it a time to guard them from that which they're not ready for or from that which is helping prepare them for their future? You know, we have um, an interesting society right now where we have a whole bunch of kids that have been indulged rather than they have been inhibited. I know um, I see it in my own kids, I see it in myself. Often people will call like Gen Z or the millennial generation, which I'm a part of, as the indulged generation, as the entitled generation. Has anyone heard that before? And you know, this isn't just someone's opinion. It's actually the reality of kind of like uh, what's happening in the world today. So has anyone read in the news lately about the college scandal that happened? Okay, so for those that haven't, this is crazy. So we have some kids out there that maybe didn't do their due diligence in studying and doing everything they needed to do to get the uh, college admissions scores they needed to get into the college of their choice. So rather than letting their kids feel the consequence of that, we had some parents, often you know, that had money and had influence, go to these schools and actually pay them large sums of money to get them access into a room that they actually had never earned the right to be in. It's like they couldn't handle the fact that their kid was being inhibited, that they had to overrun that and make sure that they were indulged. I don't know how that makes you feel, but to me it actually really challenges me because I understand that parent. There is no wall I don't want to bust down for my kids. I don't think they're bad parents. I just think they're parents that hadn't necessarily taken the time like we're doing this morning and considered, hey, is this a time? to indulge my kid or is this a time to guard my kids about behavior that's ultimately not going to create a very good human at the end of it? We so often, if we're not careful, rewrite this scripture. We just think it's a time for everything in the wrong way. So it could be a time for everything or we're like, it's a time for everything. We want it all and we want it now. So people reread this scripture and they forget the other side of it. So they're just like, oh, it's a time for harvest, but there's never a time to sow. Who knows, you can't actually ever have harvest without a sowing season. Or you've got a whole bunch of, honestly, and I was probably one of these kids that were, you know, all peace. We want peace, we want peace, which is a great concept. But who knows that peace never just came. Peace comes because at first there was a war that made space for peace to come. We've tried to rewrite the truths of the Bible to indulge ourselves when God is telling us very clearly in Ecclesiastes, hey, parents, discern. Hey, children of God, discern. There is a time for everything. In this current discomfort, in this current situation, what is it a time for? Is it a time for weeping? Is it a time for laughing? Because God is telling us there will be both. God is a good father who is teaching us that we need to have discernment in this tension. Um, George's birthday is next Sunday, as I said, and it is hilarious to me, the request she has. Like, it is pretty, like, I actually kind of appreciate and judge it at the same time. Like, she, like, if I was legitimately to give her everything on her list, we would be taking out a second mortgage. And I actually love that in her. I love that we have a kid who looks at us and thinks, my parents love me so much. They want to give me every good gift that I want. But I have to manage that as a parent. I can't quash it and say, no, you're getting stale bread and water. Okay, that's not the response either. That's too far on this. But if I was to give her every little thing her heart decided, I would have a kid that rather than felt special was spoiled. So the aim as parents when I'm reading the Bible is God wants us to know we're special, that we're seen, that we're loved, that he's a God that wants to give us good gifts. But he's not a God that wants us to feel spoiled. 
because then we miss the value of it. Another way to say it is God wants us to be expectant as His kids. I love that the Bible is full of promises that me as His daughter can actually pull down. The Bible says that we are not dogs that eat crumbs off the floor, but we are sons and daughters that have a place at the table. I love that. But can you see the difference is that in that case, you're expectant as opposed to being entitled. And I think that's where the line has been crossed often. And I mean this with spiritual kids as well as physical kids, that we have become an entitled generation rather than becoming an expectant generation. To me, it's different because it shows the condition of your heart. So I want to say this, and I know this is a nice, like, tweetable moment, but I really want you to consider this in regard to the stewardship you have in your own kids. Are you more concerned and more focused on leaving a legacy for your kids in the natural, so leaving something for your kids, or are you more focused about leaving something in your kids, something that is intangible, something that is internal? I think as parents, we get so obsessed about this word legacy and have reduced legacy to being an external expression. Well, when I read the Bible, God is creating a legacy in me that's all internal. He's creating in me a legacy of having good character, of someone who knows how to extend faith in hard times. Come on, we gotta be parents that understand what actually leaving a legacy is like for our kids. And even with Jesus, can you see that as God is beginning to kind of write some perspectives that have been hard for people, that God has been more interested in what he's doing in you than what he's giving to you. Okay, he's more interested about guarding you from things because he knows that you aren't maybe ready or giving them to you would make you entitled rather than expectant. I know it's a lot. This is helping me this morning. This is my own gift to myself. I am preaching to myself. I'm actually literally taking these notes home so I don't have to take them because I've written them already. So this is good. <laughs> All right, so what are some ways that we've ended up here? Like, how did we get to a society where something like the college scandal happened? This is my opinion, but these are three things that I just want to suggest is how we ended up here. Number one, and this is, again, preaching to myself, maybe we've become lazy in our parenting. It takes way more effort, way more effort to inhibit than to indulge our kids. Saying yes is easy, saying no is hard. And the thing about saying yes is it makes us feel awesome. Like when your kids think you're a rock star, you're like, yeah, that's right, Pinterest this. You know, but the reality is saying no does not make you feel like this. Saying no kind of has you driven to your knees. Like I've already had like my daughter yell at me, I hate you. And I'm like, how? You, how does this, the flesh nature already show itself so early? And I need to be, again, the coach that sees you're just in temporary pain. But I know that even though you're saying things at me, I'm going to be the parent and be mature enough to not respond to the temporary emotion, knowing what it's producing in you on the other side. Okay. And, you know, it's pretty hilarious, like, how hard it is to say no. Like, my daughter wants to watch YouTube all the time. And you would think saying no to that was like I was saying no to having air. Like, it gets very dramatic. So I just want to say, I get it that it's not the easiest thing to say no, but we've got to be parents that have the energy and the effort and the long, the picture of the long haul to, to be able to say no when it's time. This is kind of a bit of an ouchy one for me, so it might be for you too. Parents have used their kids to combat their own insecurity or to make up to for failures that they felt that they didn't have in life. So where they become obsessed with their kid achieving, not because actually it's about their kid, but it's about them. If you achieve, that says something about me. 
It's like there's been a disconnect. I see it. I see it in myself. Like, why is my security so tied to my kids' success? When I look at the Word of God, there is no agenda in how He parents us. It's pure. He wants us to win because He wants us to win, not because there is an agenda in it. So receive that Word if it's for you this morning. And then I've already mentioned this, but so often I think, and in looking at that college scandal, we've forgotten the unique role we have as parents. And for non-parents out there, we've forgotten the unique role that God plays for us as being the Father. Proverbs 22 verse 6 says this, It's our job to train up a child in the way he should go, because even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Come on, this is our mandate from heaven, parents, that we are to train up the kids that God has asked us to steward. Spiritual parents in there. This goes without saying too. Connect group leaders, team leaders. Come on, God has given you spiritual kids to train up in the way they should go so they won't depart from it. You know, people that follow Jesus, come on. God's mandate for you is that He is gonna train you up so in all seasons of life, you won't depart from the truths of who He is. We cannot abdicate our role. Okay, we want our kids to feel special, not spoiled. We want them to be expectant, not entitled. Come on, we don't want to give, we don't want uh, spiritually diabetic kids that uh, can't handle the sweetness of life because we've showed them sometimes the sourness of life. I hope that tracks. Our God is the great nutritionist. That's what I love about the Word of God. There's, there's plenty of sweet, but there's plenty of kale in the Bible too. Because a good nutritionist knows, you knows, knows that you need both. There is a time for everything. Sometimes there's a time for the green smoothie. Sometimes it's time for a warm brownie, okay? But God, when He talks about it in the Bible, shows us that there's time. So in terms of you being a nutritionist of your kids' lives, where are you at in that? Is it time to start pouring in some more kale? Maybe for some of you, it's time to add some more sweetness. All right, my final focus this morning is this. Do we confront or do we comfort? Do we confront or do we comfort? Another way of saying this is, do we love them or do we tell them the truth? And can I say, this is a point that's like super close to my heart because I feel that the church has forgotten in this age of Christians being called intolerant and bigots and being called judgmental. I think that we've forgotten that God is both love and His truth. That's just not my opinion, it's scriptural. First John 4 verse seven tells us to love one another for love comes from God and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. So we understand that God is love. And then John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, everyone say truth, and no one can come to the Father except through me. If God was a coin, one side would be truth, one side would be love. You actually can't have love without truth. And as parents, this is often where we fall into a trap, where we're like, wait, if I confront a bad behaviour, or if I um, insist on them hearing the truth of what the Bible says about this decision they're making, then I'm gonna be accused of not loving them. And I just wanna release some parents today who are in some very real situations where they have to respond to some things from their kids just to tell you that God loves us enough to tell us the truth. And if we could be a generation that loves our kids enough to tell them the truth, that loves our community enough to tell them the truth. Now listen, you can't have truth without love though. It goes both ways. You can tell people all day long what they're doing wrong, but if they don't know that they are loved, they're not gonna hear you anyway. It's truth and it's love together. We are corrected by God. When I look at the Bible, there are so many adjustments He is making to my heart and my soul. 
And you know what? As a kid, as a spiritual kid, I don't read that feeling dismissed or feeling judged by my father. I read that and I feel loved. Same for me, same for your kids. I love it in Hebrews verse six, it says, for the Lord disciplines those He loves and He punishes each one as He accepts His child. Because God loves us, He disciplines us. Because He loves us, He is able to extend truth in those situations. I know I'm kind of running out of time, but like, let's be real about some of the decisions that I might have to face in the future. I know I certainly do as a leader, and I know some of you are facing out there today. What do you do when your kid is maybe having issues with their gender identity or their sexuality? Or maybe they're going through a hard time in their marriage and they don't know what to do. Come on, as parents, we have a unique role where we have to choose. Are we going to be a coach or are we going to be a cheerleader? And I'm telling you, everything in you will want to comfort. But I'm telling you, there's going to be some moments where it's actually your job to show them, to, to show them in love the truth of what the Bible is saying about them. And can I tell you why I'm passionate about this point? Can I tell you why? Because um, it says in the Word of God that um, you are truly my disciples um, if you know the truth and the truth will set you free. Why this matters to me is I think somewhere along the lines, even the church, the big C church, has forgotten to tell people the truth. And what's happened is it means we've got a whole lot of people living bound and shackled when they don't need to be. If I could put it in kind of a, a picture for you, it's kind of like as the church, we know the truth of what God says, so we have the keys in our pocket. And it's like we're looking at our kids and they're, they're bound in, in, in things in life. And it's like we're loving them and comforting them, even though we have the key to get them out of it in our pocket. Like what parent would do that? No parent would. They would pull out those keys. They would unlock the prison and lead their kids into freedom. But that's what happens when we just emphasize love over truth. We are not called to be parents that provoke our kids to anger. Even the Bible says that in Ephesians 6, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instructions of the Lord. Proverbs says, wounds from a sincere friend are faithful, but um, better than many kisses from your enemy. Come on, as parents, we wanna be our kids' friends, but to not tell them the truth, the Bible says is like we're being their enemies. I don't want that, and I know you don't want that today. I went to, as we kind of wrap up, I went to a conference a few weeks ago and there was a, a beautiful woman of the faith, Bobby Houston, many of you might know her. She leads Hillsong Church and she's been doing ministry a really, really long time. So I really listen to what she says because the longevity on her life inspires me. And she got kind of emotional as she was telling this story and I want to pass it on to you guys this morning. She was talking about this dream she had of um, she heard noise outside the bathroom window and she looked over the window pane and she saw, and sorry, this is kind of graphic, but go with me because it rocked my heart and I hope it will too. She saw three men and a little boy outside of her window. And it was apparent just from the moment she saw it in this dream that this little boy was being abused by two of the men. And there was another man there that was clearly this little boy's father. But rather than grabbing his kid and running to safety, he was just rubbing his kid's back and comforting him. So even though he was being abused, by somebody who had ill intent for him. Rather than confront it, they were comforting it. As she's telling this story, she's telling her that in her longevity as a minister, she sees that sometimes that's what the church is doing. We're rubbing people's back, consoling them. Oh my goodness, look how sin is stealing from your life. But we have an opportunity to free people from that situation. Come on, I wanna be a church. I wanna be a spiritual parent that doesn't just comfort our kids at their place of pain, but lets them be prepared. Let's them be saved from the very thing that's binding them. So I hope you receive that as I did, church. I hope you think about that 
like I do, church, every time I get an opportunity to choose how I respond as a parent. Do I protect or do I prepare? Do I indulge or do I inhibit? Do I confront or do I comfort? Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com. 